When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. Hello, I'm Scott Soshnick. And I'm Evan Novi williams and this is the New Year Same College Football Playoff Sports Business Podcast, The Sportacast. How was your time off, Mr. Novi williams it was good. It was. Uh, I kind of like the when when New Year's and, and Christmas end up on these on these weekends. You get a little bit more time off, kind of built around long weekends. Uh, spent some time in New Jersey with my family. Spent some time at, at the cabin out in Pennsylvania. Much needed R and R. I hope the same for you and the family. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, there was a little less of, as I call it, the beeps and the boops from the Slack and the email and the text, but there was, st- there was still business going on, you know, sure. uh, we, we still had some things to do, which is fine. Uh, spent a lot of time in the rink, even though we were officially off from his club hockey. Don't think the little man didn't want to go to what they call a puck shoots or open ice where he goes with his pals and plays. God, we went one night, he was with a teammate. They spent an hour and a half on the ice. The teammate, you know, it ends, the teammate gets off. All right, bye. He's going home. And my son says, can we stay for the second one? And I'm like, okay. (laughs) You know, I skated for the first one. So, you know, I'm like, okay, um, you can stay. I'll get off the ice and kind of chillax. And I swear to you, Evan, it was like three more hours. I I guess it was the last thing of the night and they didn't end and they didn't care if the kids were out there playing. But by the end, he was on there with two or three other kids that just would not get off the ice. <laughs> I was like, my Lord. I finally, and, and I guess this is good because this is what Gretzky always says. And I had a conversation. Remember Bob Boone, the major leaguer? You know, his, his father. Bob okay, well, Bob no. Boone's father was a major Aaron leaguer. Boone. Well, Aaron and Brett are his kids. Yeah, okay. So gotcha. he told me, if you're looking to have a, a superstar athlete or even just, you know, a kid that's going to go far in sports, he said, this is his indicator. This is what he looks for. If you're telling your kid to go practice, that kid will not make it. What yeah. you need to be, the indicator he looks for, what you need to be saying is stop. It's dark outside. He's like, my father was constantly telling me, all right, you have to come in for dinner, enough. And he would tell his kids, guys, enough, come on inside. And Gretzky has said the same thing. You can't push, push, push and make it happen. It's got to come from the kid. And I think the biggest part of that, and I don't know if I'm guilty of it right now or not, but I think the structure of it all, and I, and I, I mean, I know we're, we're going tangential here, um, but the structure of youth sports right now leads to the lack of creativity, the lack of fun, especially at the young ages and at the elite levels. Too um, much concentration on too, single sports. Yeah. yeah, Way too much on single sport, but just let the kids have fun because 
if that was a practice and his coaches were out there and the, or the dads were watching, whatever it may be, I can tell you when practice was over, my kid's done. All right, it's enough. It's, you know, I know it's hard. They're pushed. I get it. But there were no grownups on the ice. I certainly wasn't there. There were no coaches and there were just kids playing. And man, was he smiling and, and they were joking around and they, they were just having, you could tell they were, you could actually see through the glass. I was on the outside in the warm part of the rink that they were just having a great time, experimenting, trying new things, having some fun. And he would have stayed out there another five hours. Like he would have collapsed on the ice if I didn't say enough, let's go. (laughs) I think there's a lesson there. Back off, let the kids have fun, let them try new things, let them run their own sort of uh, their own program, so to speak, and just let them have a blast. And that's how you get better, by the way. Experimentation. That's why there's always, I love watching the younger brothers of, and my experience is the hockey players. I really believe when I watch a kid play, I can predict with, let's see, I don't, I don't want to go too grandiose here. I'm going to say with 75 to 85% accuracy, if they have I will brother. say that kid has an older brother who yeah. plays hockey because I can tell he has played with bigger, faster, stronger for a long time. And I can see the creativity and the difference in that kid's game. That doesn't happen in structured hockey. So whatever, if our, if our listeners have their kids in sports, that's my two cents. Let them have fun. Listen to Bob Boone. Listen to Wayne Gretzky. If you're telling your kid to go practice more, you're, you're on the wrong path. There you go. The Sportacast, right. now a uh, youth sports parental advisory podcast. Well, one of, you know what? One of these days, why don't we focus one of our, our Sportacasts on youth sports? Because, uh, I mean, this is not you know ringing a new bell. Huge business. We had, uh, in a previous version of this podcast, uh, one of Jackson's coaches, I think, jo- Jeff Hamilton, joined us. Connecticut Junior Rangers, yeah. Fascinating. Really interesting to, and to talk on the business side, especially, kind of the way in which youth sports has been commercialized and all the things that he has to think about that I think a lot of youth coaches were 10 years ago, probably were not even considering at all. That's what I love about sort of the, the program. My son is in a program called mid Fairfield, uh, share the ring space with the Connecticut junior Rangers and Jeff Hamilton. There are so many former NHL players hanging around the rink. And Jeff is one of them. Our coach, Sean Haggerty, Marty St. Louis, these guys are all around. They know what development is all about and how to do it. There is not this incessant blow the whistle, stop, do it again, drilling, stop, do it again. They understand that creativity, kids learn at different paces, um, and, and they just feel as if there's you know development, development, slowly putting in some structure, but let the kids develop. There will be kids who will excel at age eight, and then the kids who are a little behind, maybe at age 10, 12, 14, maybe he catches up. They get that, which is, which is really refreshing, but it is fun to see the fathers. That's where the problems are. And, not, yeah. and not, I'm not speaking specifically to our program. I'm speaking in generalities, uh, watching the moms and the dads in the rinks and the screaming and the yelling and the castigating, and this is what you did wrong, and let's review. It, it, it's pretty funny, man. I see it week in and week out. But a lot of this is, it, it, it's a business, right? Youth sports is a business, yeah. obviously. And the the unstructured version that you're talking about is 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 not the thing that coaches want to get paid for, right? The, the more of that renders them in some ways not as important. Uh, I think it's part of the structure is built around the idea that, you know, having video sessions and bringing the parents in and all that is, is a way to charge more for your services. If, you know, everything the kid is doing is kind of unstructured practice or or just, you know, fooling around with his friends or her friends. uh, I think it's harder to charge as much for that in some ways. Yeah, absolutely. And at the, you know, the lower levels of sort of your house leagues and things, you're going to get parent coaches uh, and things like that, but just the fees to play, 
the uniforms on top of it, the travel, the team meals, it piles up very quickly. And then when you get to the more specialized stuff like you were referring to, then you get the incessant private coaching. You know, I wonder how many 12 year olds have sports psychologists. You know, I don't, I don't know what's going on, but, uh, yeah, we, we should do it. We'll, we'll do some big business, but you know what else is big business? Let's move to the, and I, and I'm going to put this in air quotes, professional ranks, college football. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we're, we're privatizing all the college football anyway. And at least we know, uh, we spoke with John Cunningham, the AD at Cincy. Nice showing, right? Nice showing against, uh, Against Alabama, no, they didn't win. Was it? But <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, I, if, if you had asked me what what the spread would have been, and I don't mean the point spread, I just would have guessed Alabama would have beaten them by 50. <laughs> <You know? laughs> okay. I don't know. I'm the late person in college yes, football. Good showing. Good showing. Yeah. Yeah, by that measure. If I'm, a, if I'm a Cincinnati prospect or recruit, I'm like, all right, we got something here. There's something to work with. I may go there, right? Cincinnati did not cover the actual spread. Um, right. Two very big blowouts in in the two semifinals games, which has become essentially par for the course f- for this playoff. There have been 16 semifinal games, Scott, I read recently. The average point differential in those 16 games is 21 points, three scores. Uh, there, there have only been three semifinals games in, in, in the eight years that the, the, the college football playoff has existed. Only three of them were close games. Neither of the ones this year were. We're going to get a rematch of the SEC title uh, next Monday, Alabama versus Georgia. I don't think anybody who watched a lot of college football would would make any argument that these are not the two best teams in the country. Uh, but I think there are also people out there who are probably a little bit, uh, maybe not so interested in, in just watching SEC Titans go against each other once again if they played just just three or four weeks ago. Yeah, and there's the problem. And if what is this benefit, or which side of the argument does this benefit? What do you what do you think? There's the expand the college playoff crowd, and again, we we spoke about that with John and and Bill Hancock, yeah, uh, about sort of the revenue that would be generated by the extra media properties. So we get that. I get the everybody gets the argument of more means more. I got it. But from a competitive landscape, do we need more? Does this help or hurt the argument that more teams should be included? I think it helps. You're absolutely right that the a 12 team playoff does not change the, the result of, of who ends up. In yeah, the we title would game. still get down to yeah, Alabama you versus Georgia end up right? with the same two. Uh, I think the argument is that maybe you get more compelling earlier games. The semifinals may even just be just as lopsided as as these ones were, but you get end up getting more lopsided ones. You and I agree here, Scott. That the reason why this is going to happen is is the money. The Bill Hancock told us just having a a 12 team playoff in 2024 and 25 estimated $450 million of extra TV money. If they were to go kind of a big package, even wider than that, I've seen some estimates that this could be a $2 billion uh, TV package between ESPN and whatever other company ends up with, with some of those semifinal games. Um, An 18 playoff does not really increase the inventory that much because you're talking about these New Year's Six Bowl games, but a 12-team playoff does. It's at least four more college football games, games that matter towards the end of the year. Those games probably would be a bit closer than the semifinals games. Again, it doesn't really change the outcome, but I do think that this is because of the money. This is essentially not a matter of if, it's just a matter of when. Yeah, there are so many pieces that are touched by the possible revenue in both in NIL and Future Pro. Uh, totally. I'm sure everybody saw that Kirk Herbstreet, former Ohio State quarterback, he sort of uh, gave his take on players who were skipping bowl games. And by the way, that's nothing new. It may be increasing in frequency, but it's nothing new. And we see coaches, by the way, take different jobs and skip bowl games from there. You know, But his take was, and I'm, I'm totally going to boil it down 
to a, a one sentence paraphrase that players today don't love football as much as they used to. Like that was <laughs> Kirk's take, right? And my favorite retort, and of course I saw this on the Twitter and I don't remember who it was, but you know, you're scrolling through and you're reading for, you know, I don't want hot takes and this and that. And he may actually believe it. That's fine. Like if that's his opinion, fine. I, you know, and Desmond Howard kind of echoed that too, you know, former Heisman Trophy winner. Okay. I mean, I, I don't get all loud and you're, and you're wrong and you're okay. If that's your opinion, okay, fine. There, there's room for lots of opinions, but that doesn't mean we shouldn't have some dialogue about it. And my favorite retort and I thought the smartest take was, you know, hey, Kurt, are you aware of the level that ESPN has entrenched itself in these bowl games and in the sport in general? Like ESPN controls almost the entire college football bowl system. They go out and they're the sales mechanism. They sell the sponsorship to these bowls. And I'm not sure people really understand the depths uh, and how closely aligned ESPN, Kirk Herbstreit's employer, is. They have a vested interest in these players showing up and, and good matchups and good games. And I wonder if Kurt ever takes like just a, a two-second pause and really thinks about the fact that ESPN is a major, major player in the operational side of college football. It's funny that you say that because before you gave the retort, the, my initial thing I was going to say was just look at, at who signs Kirk's uh, paycheck. It's ESPN. It's, it's the company that pays, I think it's over $600 million a year right now to, to air various parts of the college football playoff and the New Year's Six Bowls, et cetera. You're right, Scott. They are the, the dominant corporate force behind college football in general, but especially the college football postseason. Um, and the argument against you know these, these guys opting out, I think, is is so silly. If it, at its corest form, like basis form, college is about preparing you for whatever you want to do professionally, and opting out seems like the right thing that NFL prospects uh, should be doing if they are concerned about what they want to do professionally. And then the uh, Mississippi quarterback Matt Corral, who had a really ugly ankle injury, yeah, I think, is a perfect example of a, a guy who's who's looking to play on Sundays. Seems to be he's going to be an NFL draft pick. I I have no idea how serious that ankle injury is, how much that affects things. Um, but if for athletes who want to, and again, these people are unpaid, anyone who wants to sit out a bowl game for any reason, I think is fine. Uh, but especially if they are, you know, thinking about what it means for their professional aspirations, makes total sense to me. And I also, I mean, I understand why ESPN doesn't love it when, when Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave opt out of a bowl game for Ohio state, that, that probably affects ratings to a degree, but, Again, it's the. It, it, I'm not going to stand with Kurt in that opinion. And for the knee jerker of, hey, what about you know, get yourself an insurance policy. You know, we we had a we were ahead on that one too. A lovely feature from Dan Libet, um, and you took part in that as well on how the the, the changing it's landscape hard. of loss of value <laughs> yeah. insurance. Yeah, yeah. So if if you are a, but what about the insurance, the loss of value insurance policies? I encourage you to go Google uh, Dan Libet, Evan Noe Williams, loss of value and Sportico because you're going to get a really good article uh, on how that has the landscape of loss of value has changed over time. So one one thing I do think that that would be interesting to two track in the in the long term future. I think you and I probably agree that at, at some point NIL just kind of opened the door, put a, a foot in the door. But at some point, there there's very likely that there could be kind of an open market for college football players, especially uh, in the long term future. And if that situation were to happen, where where college football players were actually being 
compensated for playing. I do wonder if that would change the the way one, the way that, that the athletes think about bowl games Two, if there was some kind of collective bargaining, if you could compel athletes to play in those games, I don't know, but, but, but at least for right now, certainly with the structure that exists in college football today, uh, have no problem with it. And I expect it to be a bigger part of the college football postseason in the next few years. I'm going to put on my, uh, CMO hat right now. And if I'm negotiating a deal with a college athlete, particularly a superstar, you know, and, and thankfully the mega stars aren't the only folks getting these deals as some predicted. But if I am really going after these Heisman hopefuls or the top college basketball players and a wooden award winner, all that kind of stuff, uh, you know, there's an incentive, you know, put in, you can put in a clause X if you do play Y if you don't like, or make it mandatory that if healthy, you must participate. If it's a, one of the bigger bowl games, if it's a college football playoff game, you must participate if healthy. So I I think some States have, have, have outlawed that exact thing. I, th- I think there are some states that have uh, put in their state laws that that you're not allowed to have any kind of performance uh, metrics within your NIL deal. I, I don't know how widespread that is, but but you're right. There, there's probably some some way that you could kind of work this into a contract. But I do know there's a lot of people out there who are kind of kind of reticent of the idea that you and and this is the big risk, right? You you can sign a, a Heisman hopeful and the player gets benched one game into the season or two games into the season it happened this year with Spencer Rattler down in Oklahoma. Um, and, and suddenly the, the value that you think you're getting out of that deal is, is way lower. I think there are, there are at least some state laws that, that will tell you that you're not allowed to make those things kind of totally performance and, and, and participation based. Paging Mike McCann. I'm, I'm ready to exactly. hear more. All right. So, <laughs> exactly. you know, we, we went a little bit longer with the U sports at the start and, and the college, you know, you and I sort of plan, what do we want to talk about? We don't get too, too in detail. Where do you want to go? You want to look ahead? You want to talk a little Antonio Brown, Arctos closing some NHL deals? Where, where do you want to go? It's, it is Evan Novi Williams' choice. <laughs> well, let's talk Arctos really, really quickly because okay. it's you and I have spoken on this podcast a lot in the past few months about this kind of creeping uh, trend towards sports uh, opening up to co- private equity investors. And we've seen our first, uh, at least the ones that we know about, first two NHL deals happen. Uh, Arctos Sports Partners, uh, a group led by... Uh, Doc O'Connor and Ian Charles. Uh, they've invested in Golden State Warriors. They've invested in Fenway Sports Group. They've invested in the Sacramento Kings. They've done two NHL deals pretty quickly, kind of back-to-back, closing deals with the Tampa Bay Lightning and the Minnesota Wild, 10% of the Wild. We don't know exactly how much, I don't believe, of of the Lightning. Um, but w- what's your takeaway here? I, I think this is just a, I mean, and we can pitch this forward to 2022 as well. We're going to see a lot more of these deals across every professional sports league in the U.S. minus uh, the NFL in 2022. Yeah, here's my takeaway, and I want us to do a story on it, and I hope the readers will look out for it pretty darn soon, paging Brendan Coffey. As an investment vehicle, right? If I'm an investor, if I have put my money with, with Doc and Ian, I want to know what sort of return am I getting and when, right? This can't be the, the typical private equity is what, three to five years, X yeah. percent. It, this has it, to be these, longer. Yeah, this has to be longer. And these are completely passive stakes. And we've talked about this before, but it cannot be emphasized enough that it is not like Ian and Doc or Ian or Doc get a board seat or anybody from any of the others. I mean, we should say there are others that, you know, whether it's Dial Home Court doing it, um, they do not get a board seat. They do not get a say in governance. 
And when I'm negotiating a limited partnership uh, as an individual, oftentimes that is something I will seek. Because if I'm putting my capital at risk and I'm putting my capital in, I want to say in how things are run and what we're going to do. Not the ultimate decision, obviously, but a seat at the table where I can contribute. That is not the case here. And yes, we have seen a nice escalation in the value of professional sports franchises. We have seen a a risk factor in pandemic that nobody had really calculated before. And what else is out there around the corner that we had not thought about? But I'm very interested to see from an investor standpoint, what sorts of returns are expected, are promised, and how, what is the path by which they view these teams moving forward? And maybe it is aligning yourself with not only teams, iconic brand name teams, but owners that are doing multifaceted things with the franchises. What is the media play? And we talk about this too. What is the real estate play? And then I've got a relationship with this owner. What are they doing outside of? Can I put capital to work alongside that owner in perhaps something else they're doing? Uh, you know, those, those are all very, very interesting things. Um, it can't be, it can't solely be, all right, we're just going to hope that the franchise continues at, at this, you know, the franchise value when it escalates at the traditional pace. There's got to be more to it. And I'm really curious as to what the investors uh, are are thinking will happen with their money. And I'll tack one more onto that. The what what's the exit strategy, and and, and more specifically, who do they envision buying these stakes when they are ready to sell? Yeah, who's next? Yeah. If the idea here around allowing private equity investment was you know skyrocketing franchise valuations, it's harder and harder to find people to buy these minority stakes. If that it continues, which seems to be the th- the investment thesis that 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 investment that that appreciation will continue. Logic says it becomes harder and harder to find more people who are interested in buying these stakes. Not easier. I mean, if the if the vision is at some point you unload the stake to a different uh, institutional investor, or if we think that the market for among ultra rich, the ultra wealthy, will be different in ten years from now in terms of wanting to buy small stakes, non voting stakes in in teams. I am fascinated by by the way these things not only when they unwind, but how they do and who they envision kind of being on the other side of these transactions when a private equity firm like an Arctos or a Sixth Street decides, okay, we're, we're ready to, uh, uh, to to divest of this and and kind of recoup the appreciation. All right. I, I like it. And by the way, something we did not mention, I'm going to go back to the college football for a second, the national championship game, uh, because I love nothing more than to fiddle around with the uh, Sportico revenue tool, the mm, college yeah. sports re- revenue. So if you're looking at football revenue, <laughs> excuse me, between... Alabama and Georgia. <clears throat> Excuse me. I'm getting all choked up with the championship game. So if you're looking at the football <laughs> revenue between Alabama and Georgia, knee-jerk, close my eyes, you ask me who makes more money, I would say Alabama. Yeah. And I would be wrong. <laughs> yeah. So, <clears throat> excuse me again, you, t- you tell me because you're the one who dives into these numbers way more often than I do. Uh, Georgia, $134 million operating revenue. Bama, $110 million. Where's yeah. the difference? I mean, I think it, 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 it. Some of this is is kind of slightly different accounting in terms of where they want to put money in for football, where they want to put money in for, uh, for, for kind of all sports as it is. But no matter how you dice the numbers, these are the two two of the five, ten richest programs in in college football, without question. I mean, the, we did some numbers, and I would encourage people to look at them because it's really stark. We looked at the four semifinals teams: Alabama, 
Georgia, Michigan, and Cincinnati. Uh, and if you look at the data, the way that it was presented by by Lev Akabas on our staff, it, it is it is stark how different those three blue bloods are relative to to to, to Cincinnati. And we heard John Cunningham talk about some of that uh, on a show last week. But you're right, Scott. And and this is, I think, another one of these big criticisms of the way the college football playoff is laid out right now is you essentially only get these schools. You only get the, the schools that are $180 million athletic departments or higher. You only get the Georgias, the Alabamas, the Ohio States, the Michigans, et cetera. Um, but yes, these are uh, Georgia spends more on, on football recruiting, I think, than any school in the country. Alabama spends more on its football coaching staff than any school in the country. There are a lot of superlatives that you can pull out for both of these finalists that, that make it very clear that we're talking about the cream of the crop financially in college football. Can we pretend that it's just us on the horn right here and have a story yeah. idea meeting? You know, can, can I order <laughs> up a story for Monday? Because I would love, and people know the numbers, I get it. But I would love a, a show don't tell on where the SEC is going and how powerful the conference it's is already in the before works. the national championship <laughs> game, Mr. Novi Williams. Yeah. I, I'm guessing, like I said, I'm guessing you're already on it. But I mean, the SEC is, is more powerful than the NCA at this point. I mean, as a conference. And by the way, adding Oklahoma and Texas, you may have heard of those two schools that when you talk about revenue and athletic departments, let's lump them in in the Blue Bloods. Um, wow. It's here they are again and how the money is paid out if people don't know from college football players like every team in the conference shares in the revenue that's generated over over some years. Um, you, you know, those bottom teams in the SEC. Yeah, they get beat up every now and then by these big boys. But you know what? When you cash, got cash two of them, yeah, 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 it's black and blue and Cha and Ching. When you uh, when you look ahead at who gets the payouts over the time, they're more than happy to have two of their own in the championship game. Just more trickling on down. And a new TV deal about to kick in for yep. the SEC, uh, which will make them the richest conference from an annual revenue standpoint. The Big Ten, however, Scott, has its, its its new TV rights that they're starting to negotiate as well. When that deal gets signed, they could even leapfrog the SEC. But we are hurtling towards a world in which there are two really, 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 really rich conferences the Big Ten and the SEC, and then a couple rich conferences, and then a handful of conferences at the way way back end of FBS. The the haves and have-nots, the gaps there are really going to widen. And we asked Bill Hancock this, when, when, when the guy who runs the college football playoff, about you know, right now the college football playoff distributes its payouts evenly among the five quote-unquote power five conferences. Uh, it, it seems very soon that the Big Ten and the SEC are going to have an argument for being the power two, a subset of the power five uh, ahead of the group of five. Uh, that's how big the gap is financially going to be, I think, between the Big Ten and the SEC and then everybody else, uh, including the ACC, the, the, the Pac-12 and the Big 12. So if I close my eyes, you know what argument I just heard? I'm going to throw out two team brand names. Yeah, Have, that was that sounded like Manchester United, Real Madrid, <laughs> Super League. You know, we generate. We should get more. That's what it sounded like to me. I would bet a lot of money that in ten years the traditional conference model, as we know it, is kind of totally exploded, and we have a Super League of sorts. Whoa, You're getting something delivered in the background at the there. Door, I think I, <laughs> the, the, that doorbell That's, probably you know, rings. You know who that was? That's George Klyevkov. No, George Klyevkov is no, George Klyevkov is downstairs. He's like, wait a minute, don't talk about the fact that the uh, Pac-12 or didn't win any games, and you know we have a new media deal coming up. Amazing, too. amazing. 
All right. He is Eben Novi Williams on the Twitter at Novi underscore Williams. I am Scott Soshnick on Twitter at Sportacast. Our social media editor is Cora Veltman, and she loves when I remind you that the show can be found at Sportacast, which is the hub of what will soon become the Sportico Podcast Network. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, prohibited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.